Hallelujah. Turn with me quickly to the book of Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, and he goes on, Prepare, let's read it, prepare your victuals, for within three days you will pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord thy God gives you to possess it. I want you to remember that when, when, when that company of saints, they're not saints the way we are, but you know what I mean, God's people, God's set-apart people, as they were entering into a season and a new land, God told them, if you're going to make it in this place, you've got to put my word first place in your life. There's going to be other distractions. There's going to be other gods. There's going to be, now I'm not trying to be funny here, but God knew what human beings are like, especially men. And he said, there's going to be beautiful women there. And they're going to try to pull your eye. And I don't want you to marry them because if you marry them, they're going to pull you into their, into their way of thinking and into worshiping their gods. And there's a lot of beautiful women and a lot of handsome men in the world. And just because you need a mate doesn't mean that you turn to the left or that you turn to the right. Because if you do that, they'll pull you away. They'll pull you away. They'll pull you away from what the plan of God is for your life. And he said, now I need you to meditate on my word. I need you to be observing to do according to all that's written there. And that means read it, see it with your eyes, meditate on it with your heart and obey what it says and do that day and night, day and night, day and night, because only the power of the word has the ability to produce faith. Revelation from the word produces faith and you're about to go into a place filled with giants. And if you don't have faith, you're not going to be able to, you're not, you will run in fear from there because you'll see their size and their, and their ability and all these things. And you won't be able to trust me if you don't have my word. It's got to be like a granite rock inside of you. It's got to be bigger in you than those giants are to your eyes. The word's got to be bigger in us. And so the Lord told me to preach a a certain message tonight, which I'll get to in about 30 seconds, but it lines up with what uh, my wife preached last Wednesday about meditating on the word and what I've been talking on Wednesday and Sunday, maybe from a different angle, but it's still the same. The Holy Ghost, notice, we've been saying even about your soul being healed and your body and addictions, but remember, we're talking about you've got to be spiritually minded. Your thoughts have to be on the word, not just your confession, your thoughts. It has to be connected with the word. Then life will flow. What are we saying? What is the spirit saying through these messages? I may be the one preaching, but he's actually trying to communicate something to people. What's he telling you through these messages? You shouldn't be just saying, what is pastor preaching? You should be saying, what is the Holy Ghost of, what is God, the Holy Ghost saying to me through these messages? What is the theme he is trying to get over to me? He's telling us, put an emphasis on the word. 
spiritually minded, thoughts on the word, meditating on the word. Then I go, and she had another sermon, which I thought was wonderful, but the Lord ch- told her last second, you know, you teach on the meditation of the word, and she taught that. And then I had something else planned for tonight, and this afternoon he says, no, I want you to preach this message, son, because it's connected to meditating on the word. At first, when I preach, start it, you're not going to think it's got anything to do with meditating on the word, but just wait. You'll see where, where, where it ends up. What he's trying to get over to us is the importance of putting the word, this precious Bible that is more precious than any other book. He wants us to love it so much and treasure it so much. It is like a diamond. It is so precious. It contains revelation that can change circumstances that otherwise would not change. This is not a book only. This is a living, breathing power source. It's a nuclear power source. And he is trying and I said, Lord, why are you putting such an emphasis on this? And he spoke to me. He said, read them, Joshua 1, when you start. The reason I'm putting an emphasis is because you are enter, you have entered into a new land, Amen. a new place of the spirit called Hebron. And the only thing that is going to hold you through what is coming is this word has to be bigger in you Amen. than any obstacle you see. It has to be bigger than the impossibility you see here and bigger than the impossibility you see there and bigger than the giant that looms there and bigger than the sickness that's over there and bigger than the lawsuit that's over there. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be bigger. The only way you'll win is if it's bigger. That's why I keep trying to get over to you and the people. Make my word top priority. Now it's your job whether you do it and it's my job whether I do it. So I have to give an answer to God if I'm obeying what I'm preaching. But you also have to give an answer to God. I trust that you won't stand before him ashamed. But you will give the right answer. So Jennifer, I haven't preached this message. I know you're going to like it because it's one of your favorites. But I haven't preached this message in about 17 years. And the Lord said, now you preach it tonight, boy. You preach it tonight. Hallelujah. My God. I had to get the rust shaken off a little bit. I I couldn't find the notes, so I opened my Bible and wrote new notes, but the revelation of God came back to me. So put up that screen, if you would, and the words I heard the Holy Ghost say is nothing but victory. I heard him say those words, nothing, son. Don't see nothing but victory. And I know that's a bit gory, but I like the blood. I like the guts. I like it because that's probably what it actually looked like. My God. Turn with me to the book of Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15. Hallelujah. And when it came to pass, at within after, a while after, in the time of the wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a kid. That's not his child. That's a goat. And said, I will go into my wife to have sex. That's really what she's trying to say. It says to go into the chamber. Samson's missing his mate. He doesn't live with her because she's not an Israelite and he really shouldn't really be married to her anyway. But Samson's got a history of making bad decisions. But her father would not allow him to go in unto her. And her father said, Verily I thought that thou hast utterly hated her. Therefore I gave her to thy companion. That was, in the commentaries tell us it was his best friend. Is, is not her sister much more pretty than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. As Samson said concerning them, now shall I be more blameless in the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. 
And Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Have you ever tried to catch a fox? People say foxes are one of the hardest animals to catch. They're wily and they're fast. It just shows his level of skill. He went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, can you imagine the foxes are freaking out? He let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and the olives. Remember, it's harvest time for the enemies of God, and now their harvest is gone. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, because he, has, he had taken his wife and given her to his companion, and the Philistines came and burnt her and her father with fire. So they killed them in a gruesome, painful way. And Samson said unto them, though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease." And he smote them hip and thigh. Now that's a, that's a phrase, but I looked at about 25 different translations of that phrase and virtually all of them basically say he smote them with a furious and outrageous, with outrageous wrath. Wow. He just, he slaughtered them. That's what hip and thigh means. It's a, it's a phrase to mean he, he took care of business, buddy. Yeah. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etim. It doesn't really, uh, the King James doesn't really say that the right way because almost every other translation says that he went and abode in the cave of the rock Etim. And that's really, there was a cave. And this word Etim, it means the, the place of the hawk, the place of the predatory bird. And he went there and he, and he went in the cave. And the men of Judah... So let's keep reading verse 9. And then the Philistines went up. They're, they're mad now. You, you took a harvest. And now you, now, you, now you killed a bunch of us. We're going to get you. And the men of the uh, Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. Do you know what Lehi means? It means the place of the jawbone. So he used the very thing of the place where they were staying at. Obviously, there were jawbones. It must have been a place of death where they would discard animals, where they would throw rotting, because rotting animals smell, and they obviously would throw rotting animals and corpses and different things there to decompose, and that's called the place of the jawbone. And so they spread themselves in this area. Verse 10, and the men of Judah said, why are you come up against us? And they answered, to bind Samson are we come up, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock Etim, or the cave of Etim, and said to Samson, knowest thou not that the Philistines are ruled over us don't you know that the doctor said I've got incurable cancer don't you know that there's the bank says there's no hope and I'm gonna lose my house don't you know that the situation I'm facing is king are you listening these stories aren't written for just story's sake. They're written with revelation that applies to us past the cross of Jesus and into the new covenant don't you know that this, these enemies rule over us? Apply that to whatever it applies in your life. What is this that you've done? And he said unto them, as they did to me, so I've done to them. And they said unto him, we are come to bind thee, his own people. Sometimes Christians are your worst enemies. You're trying to stand in faith and they're just asking you to tell, you how they, how, tell them how you feel instead of what you believe. 
or they got that religious spirit and, and they're trying to squeeze you and, and they do it from a guise of trying to help, but you know something anyway. We are come to bind thee that we may deliver thee to the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. Why did he say that? Because the anointing would not work against the people of God. The anointing is not here to hurt people. God does not, we can't, he won't come on us, use us so that we can hurt those of the family of God. The anointing won't turn on people and hurt people. Now judgment can come that's different, but we're not talking about that. He knew if you fall on me, I'm done because that anointing won't work. But if they come against me, bring it. So I'm not worried about them. I'm just making sure you don't, you're not going to be treacherous, right? You're not going to fall on me because he knows the anointing won't work against his own people. Okay, so, and the verse 13, and they spake unto him saying, no, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand, but surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. In that day and age, a new cord, an old cord that has been used and that has had strain put on it, and that is dried out because it's a hot area there. That, that cord can fray and break much easier. But brand new, if the Hebrew here says an entwined cord, it's like, it's like a pleated rope. Yeah. A brand new rope that's fresh can't, is not gonna fray the same way under pressure. Yeah. In other words, it's like putting two sets of handcuffs on them. I'm going to not just do it once. I'm going to, a normal man couldn't even do it under one, but we're just going to double up and do it under two. We're going to put two new cords, not just one cord, not just one new cord, but two new cords to make sure that you're not going nowhere, boy. Are you listening? It looks like it's impossible, Reverend Greg. It looks like, it looks like the enemies have got him. It looks like his own people have turned on him. It looks like, listen to me, if he feels all alone and there's, Every one of us have times where we feel all alone. Like our family, even our church family may not be with us or they don't understand or this person's not calling me back or pastor's too busy to talk to me and the, the devil's after me. He represents the Philistines, but our church family represents his own people and sometimes you do feel all alone. That doesn't mean you are all alone. You just might feel it. Now have a look now. And when he came unto Lehi, the place of the jawbone. They took him down from the rock, from the cave. They're leading him down the trail. The Philistines have arrayed themselves, this army in Lehi. It doesn't say how many there are there, but we know there's a lot of people. And the Philistine, as he came down unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. Now that word shouted, you need to understand because it doesn't do justice in English. The Hebrew word for shouted, it means to split, it actually means to mar, M-A-R, to mar or split the ears because of sound. It means it is such a loud roar that you, you actually can hurt your eardrums because of it. 
So think about how many thousands of people are screaming at the top of their voice. The decibel level can actually split the ear. That's what it means in the Hebrew. So you gotta, you gotta try to picture this now. He's bound with two cords. His own people have turned against him. They want revenge. They're gonna kill him and probably kill him painfully. They are leading him down as a captive. And all of a sudden, a roar comes out of the enemy's camp. Now, I've studied this extensively in the original language and by, by theological commentaries by, by smarter people than I, and every one of them agree this was not a cry of war. The way the Hebrew word is written, it is in the English equivalent of the English word hoorah. You know where the, when the Marines or the army, where, you know, the guy, and they all go hoorah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a declaration of, of exclamation. It's a declaration of joy. It's an astonishment. It's a look how, oh my God, look at what we've been given a gift. It is not an attitude of a cry of war because they see him bound with two cords and they realize we got him and they shout for joy. <laughs> now you listen and I'll help the Holy Ghost will help you if you listen some of you are when you're at the top of the rock and you're in your little cave and you're feeling all alone and you're thinking why don't I feel God and then the brothers and sisters call you and tie you up and you're saying why don't I feel God where's God where's the Holy Ghost when I need him and then you start to see the enemy's plans unfold and you say, God, where are you? I don't see you. I don't feel you. I'm using my faith. I don't see anything changing. I don't see anything happening. And then you walking down toward the battle front line and, you're, and all the emotions are pumping and your, 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 your nerves are pumping. You understand what I'm saying? Can you picture what he must have felt? He must have been thinking, where are you, God? Where are you, God? I don't feel anything. I don't see anything. And they're going to kill me. And all of a sudden, notice the Holy Ghost waited. He did. Oh, he, he did, did. Yeah. The Holy Ghost could have come on him on top of the rock and not even let them bound him, bind him. The Holy Ghost waited for him to come right down. And I think it's very interesting, Reverend Dan, that the Holy Ghost waited until the enemies shouted for joy. Yeah. When they declared victory, when they released their cheer that we have overcome the righteous one, the Holy Ghost said, enough. Oh my God. And you might be right on the edge of failure and breakdown and, and, and death and whatever other word you want to use, whatever this symbolizes to you. The enemy might be cheering against you and you can hear the roar and it's splitting your ears and you're feeling it is over, I am done, it is finished. Don't you worry. The Holy Ghost has not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten about those that are close to the covenants of promise. And I want you to notice he did not move until they shouted the victory shout. Sometimes I'm telling you, God does, I don't know why he does these things, Reverend Greg, but it's almost like he, he, he just waits to that last second sometimes because the victory is sweeter and the, and the victory is greater when the enemies of God celebrate that they think they've won. They danced around Jesus when he, is lost, when he was in hell, defeated as a lost sinner, and they thought they had him. And then the Holy Ghost came. 
and raised him up. And the greatest victory. Isn't it just like God? He, he, it's almost poetic. He waits for the enemy to have that moment of joy. Just yeah, letting, the, just, I, just setting them up. Mm. You, you think you've won, don't you? Why don't you go ahead and shout? Why don't you go ahead and celebrate? You think you've won, but you don't know. You don't know what's coming. Amen. Yeah. I'm t- I don't know why God does that, but he sometimes doesn't always do it that way. But sometimes he does it at the last second, Reverend Greg. Yeah. Sometimes he does it at the last second and you can't let go of your faith. You've got to hold on to your faith right to the last second because he will not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I wonder what they must have thought. As the big guys, the big muscle-bound guys are dying while they're throwing them into the fire. I mean, talk about Jesus didn't wait to the last minute. Jesus, they didn't get to the edge. They went over the cliff. They're inside fire and Jesus walks with them. God didn't warn David as he's driving his motorcycle in the mountains of Mexico. He probably could have. Maybe he tried. I don't know. But God didn't wait to the very edge of the cliff to save him. He went over the 3,000 foot cliff and was free falling to his death when God said, watch this and translated him to the next village. Him and the motorcycle. And he is screaming the name of Jesus while he is falling. That's 30 stories. Think about a 30-story apartment building. That's 3,000 feet. He's off the 30th floor and he's falling, crying the name of Jesus. And instantly he's at the village with the motorcycle on the kickstand beside him. And he's perfectly fine. God could have told him before the edge, but God likes it sometimes to say, devil, you're going to go ahead and shout. You think you've got him. You don't know nothing. Wait. Watch. You can't let go of your faith even when you're falling 3,000 feet. You can't let it go. Because God likes to come in at the last second and make a grand entrance. He wants the devils to shout and scream and holler and think they've won. And then he just comes with that poetic justice and slaps them silly. So they're shouting. They're shouting. His ears are splitting with the noise of their victorious shout. And what happened? As they, and when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire and the bands loosed, the Hebrew word means melted, from off his hands. The brand new cords that no man can break become like like cotton tissue paper. The anointing can do the impossible. That's impossible. He said, you're in a season. This is the season of the impossible, son. This is an impossibility. Now, what did he do? Now, this is the main verse, 15. And he found the new jawbone of a donkey and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men. Now, put that other picture up there so you can see what really a jawbone of a donkey looks like. Just to give you an idea. It's got a long... Lauren is laughing because she sees the spirit of faith on this. It's got a long draw of teeth. And then, of course, the jaw is the muscular part at the bottom. Now, I've studied this extensively, and it's very important. Now, there's a great spiritual parallel here, but let me tell you the natural side first. It says he found the, the the new jawbone of a donkey. 
It had to be new. I tell you why. Because this was a place of discarded animals to rot. I've read about 25 translations and many of them say the putrefying body of a donkey or the decomposing body of a donkey. Can I please read you if I can find it here, which I don't know. Uh, let me see. Maybe I can find it in another area because I've already got rid of that. Let me read you from the common English. Do I have that one? Common English, yes. Contemporary English version of verse 15. Contemporary English version of verse 15. And it says, Samson glanced around and spotted the jawbone of a donkey. The jawbone had not dried out, so it was still hard and heavy. Samson grabbed it and started hitting the Philistines and he killed a thousand of them. That's a contemporary English. When the jawbone dried, it became light and brittle. And one smash against a shield, against another sword, against even the person's skull, it would smash that thing. But a brand new jawbone from a putrefying body. That the Hebrew word, when it says new jawbone, the word new means to be dripping. It means it is dripping with blood, decay, pus, whatever you want to, whatever, whatever you, your mind can imagine. Think of a, a, a putrefying head and he cuts that head off or maybe the head's already decapitated and he reaches in there and he takes a dripping jawbone. Why does it have to be dripping? Why does it have to be new? Because it's heavy and it's hard. And that jawbone, when it makes contact with steel, and with human bone and skull, that jawbone is stronger than that. Yeah. Amen. But an old jawbone would not work. Yeah. And I want you to notice he had to find that new jawbone. That means there was obviously an old one right there. That he, Listen, you got to picture this. They are screaming. As they're screaming, the Holy Ghost says, watch this boy. I mean, it's all in a matter of seconds. They're still screaming when that happens. They are, many translations says, as they ran toward him in rage, they shouted the shout of victory. They, South translation says, as they advanced toward him, whether they were running or walking, they were not standing still. The Hebrew implies they saw him bound and they said, yeah, and they're moving toward him to take him captive. So he is seeing them coming. He's hearing their shout and God comes on him and the thing breaks. But they're still shouting and they're still walking at this moment. Are you listening? Can you picture what that would have looked like and felt like? And he looks around for a weapon. And he sees a dry one, and he sees a dry one, and he sees a dry one. There's a lot of dry ones around. But he doesn't take the dry ones because he knows that won't do what I needed to do. So the Bible says he looks to find a putrefying body. He finds the dripping one. That took some effort. Now, can you imagine they're walking or running toward him, shouting? You don't have a lot of time or even a lot of mental, I mean, you've got to have a strong mental constitution to be able to do that while an army chases you. 
to start to look. You, you don't have time. You, you, you've got to take the first thing you can find. That's what your mind says. But you see, he's smart. He knows if I take the first one, which is the dry one, because those are plenteous, I will fail. I must find the new one. And he's, as they're running, as they're shouting, he's looking for the dripping jawbone. I want you to picture that in your mind's eye. And he finds it. I, I bet you it was at the last second. He finds it. He rears up. And boy, he goes to beating with that bat. This is not a fairy tale. This actually happened. This is not some story somebody made up. This was inspired by the Holy Ghost to teach us lessons about God. I know it's cruel and violent, but in those days, it was a different dispensation than we are in today. And there was a permission by God for this type of brutality because the dispensation was one of judgment. And these people were worshiping false idols and gods and God did not approve of their lifestyle. And there was war between God's people and them. Like today, there's war. Jesus has defeated him, but we still are encountering demon spirits and, our, and the angelic hosts of heaven. And we are, we are working with angels and with the blood and with the name against forces and powers of darkness. The Bible says we are dealing with spiritual atmospheres and spiritual entities. In the Old Testament, they dealt with physical. They were spiritual as well, but they weren't aware of them and they never had the weaponry to overcome them. Although angels worked with them against those spiritual forces. They were only dealing with people, whereas we are know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in the heavenly realm. But he was dealing with people. We don't deal with people. We, we, we understand we have to deal with people, but not the same way that he did. You got you to say that these days. Uh, nobody tries to actually take matters into your own physical hand and hurt somebody. But this, this was approved and allowed by God, even though it was brutal. And he put the other picture back up and he, with that weapon, he destroyed, I can't, I just, I tried to picture, Dan, what it must have looked like. These aren't people that have come me for, for, they didn't know he was bound until they got there. They would have come with shields, with armor. They would have come with javelins and, and bows and arrows and swords. They would have come fully prepared to fight. They didn't know he was bound until they got there. They weren't coming thinking that he's already bound. They only saw him bound when he came down with the 3,000 men of his own company. These are people that are prepared to fight and they know his, they know his reputation. Because he has just killed a bunch of them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. So you know that they're bringing, they're bringing the big guns now. And they've got every weaponry and every bit, of, every bit of advantage they can take with weapons. They have it with them. I want you to notice that against such insurmountable odds, a man with a jawbone of a donkey. No human being could achieve that feat on their own, but the Spirit of God, the anointing of the Holy Ghost came upon him and the anointing did what a human being could not do. David could not, may they tell us scientifically, you cannot 
develop enough velocity with any sling known to the human race to cause a stone, flat or sharp, doesn't matter, especially flat, even sharp, to pierce and sink into the skull plate. It's not physically possible. You cannot create enough velocity with your arm, no matter how strong you are. So David had angelic help. The anointing turned that stone into a missile, into a bullet. The anointing worked with his, the supernatural worked with the natural effort. They poured the water and Jesus turned it into wine. Supernatural worked with the natural. You go look for the job and God will give you favor. Doesn't work when you're lazy. You've got to do something. You've got to put action to your faith. There is no way a human being could kill a thousand men in armor with nothing but a jawbone, no matter how strong or wet it was or heavy or hard it was. It was the glory of God that was on him. And I try to picture what that must have. Remember, he's got long hair. He's never cut that stuff. Think about how long his hair was. I don't know if it was in braids or what it was, but can you picture him swirling and twirling and moving and they come and he hits and he moves and he ducks. Can you imagine the choreography? No John Woo has ever seen such choreography. These fight masters for Hollywood, they would give their left arm to watch this kind of choreography. This was choreographed by God himself, not John Woo Woo. You have to wonder what the choreography looked like. What this warrior accomplished. (laughs) My God. And then verse 16, and Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, look at him, heaps upon heaps. Look at that, heaps of corpses upon heaps. And he's standing on the carcasses of his enemies. That is a picture of the victory. That is a natural picture of our spiritual victory over the hordes of hell. My God. And with the jaw of a donkey have I slain a thousand men. (sighs) And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and he called the place Ramathlehi, the place of the jawbone. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? And God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water there out. That's the working of miracles. And when he had drunk, he's drinking from the, it's not just now dripping because it's wet from the decomposing animal. Now it's dripping with supernatural water. And he drinks there and he, until he, when he was drunk, his spirit came again and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof En-Hakor, which is in Lehi, unto this day. And the word en means the fountain of the one who called. In other words, I called upon the Lord and he gave me a fountain. Now this is a natural story, is it not? But there is a tremendous spiritual parallel and application for our lives. And years, 17 years ago, give or take, when I first preached this as a young man, 
when I was traveling in the I was traveling then. And the Lord gave me this and he spoke to me to this afternoon. He said, you haven't preached in a long time, son, but I want you to preach that sermon again this evening. And so I, I, I started getting back into the flow of what this message was all about. And the Lord reminded me, because I couldn't find my old notes, but he brought, he reminded me what he had showed me then and he actually showed me some new stuff today. Because his words always got more revelation than you had the first time. And he had showed me before, this jawbone represents, it is a weapon, but it represents to us the weapon of the word of God. Why? Because the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that we are given the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In other words, when you're facing enemies, Paul used physical armor and weaponry as an example of spiritual things in Ephesians 6. And he says, when you're facing, we got all this defensive weaponry, including a shield of faith, which can be used as an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon. But then you've got a sword. A sword is not really a defensive weapon. It is solely an offensive weapon. And he says, the word of God is your offensive weapon. Are you listening? He needed a weapon and there was no sword around. So he took the best weapon he could find, which was the jawbone of a donkey, but that became his sword. Are you listening? And the Lord said to me years ago, and he reminded me today, he said, son, my word is the jawbone of that donkey. Amen. But son, you cannot just take an old word. Yeah. Yeah. You, there are plenty of old words on the ground to pick up, but an old word with revelation long gone that has maybe lost its appeal, lost its, its, its flash, lost its vigor. Not, understand me, the word never does that, but you understand what I'm saying? You can't just take something that you had revelation of about 10 years ago because it's dried out. Now the revelation can come back. The word of God is ever living. Don't get me wrong, but what I'm trying to show you a picture, you don't just take just somebody else's revelation that's not yours. You don't just reach for some promise box, something that you got 20 years ago and think that's going to work when you're facing your thousand men who are shouting the shout of joy and victory against you. You need to find a fresh and a new word of God for you and for that fight right now. There is a word in the Bible for you. God will take a word and he will breathe it to you. He will give you rhema. It will go from logos on the page. It will jump off the page and into your heart and become revelation word. Rhema means to utter or speak. God has a word to speak. It also means to quicken or make alive or catch fire. God has a word to make alive in you. Not just a word, a scripture that's empty. He's got a scripture somewhere for your fight. It's in here somewhere. But the Holy Ghost knows where it is and the spirit inside of you will lead you to it. And when you read the logos, it will jump off the page. It will become like fire in your belly. He will whisper it and breathe life into your heart through it. It also means to pour from one vessel to another. 
There's an image of rhema. It is both to speak, it is both to quicken or make alive by fire, and it is also to pour liquid. Three different images, three different elements. But it's, if you can, they're all meaning the same thing. God's just showing it in different ways. He wants to take this vessel of yours that's empty and he wants to take a revelation of the word and pour it into your heart so your heart goes, ah, oh, I see, I see. But did you notice the old jawbone was not sufficient for that fight? And the old manna was not sufficient for the next day's bread. And he didn't just, the, 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 the revelation wasn't just all over the place. He had to find it. Are you listening to me? And he was under pressure. Because they are running. He is outmatched and outnumbered in every way. They are running to take him and they are shouting. He sees it. He hears it. He smells it. Every part of his being is engaged in this moment. But he took the time to search. Wow. And so many of you, you get a bad report and you hear them shouting against you and you crumble. And you call the prayer line and you demand counseling. And I'm not saying any of that is wrong in an emergency. I'm saying you've got to buck up a little bit. You've got to realize you're not the first person to have an army rage against you with ear-splitting shouts of victory. You're not the first and you won't be the last. There are many that have gone before you and there are many in this church. And we all face it. But in that moment of strain and stress, slow down. Don't grab the first thing you see. Get your Bible. Open your Bible and say, Father, I will search and find the new jawbone of a donkey. And you search and you find until that thing jumps on the inside of you. Now I'm about to make a statement. If you have a wig, hold on because it will flip, change color and come back down. Any human being with one scripture of revelation, just one, can stand against armies and win. <sighs> it's not just a weapon, the jawbone physically. That would have, he would have been killed, Jenny. He had a weapon under the, are you listening? He had a weapon under the anointing. Wow. One man with one weapon under the anointing faced an army and won. One believer with one weapon under the anointing. What is the weapon? The sword of the word. What is the anointing? What quickens it to make it alive? Any Christian with one verse of revelation in their heart can stand against armies and win. You don't understand how powerful Rhema is. You have no clue how powerful it is. You get one verse, one, with Rhema. You can stand against stage four cancer when they've given you but hours to live. You can put your chin up, you can put your chest out, and you can say, bring it, and you will win. But if you lie in your bed 
out of a heart of fear and try to just quote, 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 quote. What you've done is grabbed a brittle and grab you're smashing and you're hitting and it's smashing and you're hitting and it's smashing and there's no victory to be seen as they enclose upon you and kill you because the brittle old jawbone will not work in the fight. You must find the new fresh revelation of God. You might have already had it, but if it's faded because you need to refresh your faith every day, you need a fresh word for every day and a fresh word. I don't mean a word of prophecy. I mean a word of scripture, which is the surest form and word of prophecy. You need a fresh word every day with the anointing on it and you'll stand before thousands. You'll stand before thousands of demons, thousands of sicknesses, thousands of impossible situations, and you will take that, re- that weapon under the anointing, the word with rhema, and you will slay heaps upon heaps. And you'll say, like he did, heaps upon heaps with the revelation of the word. With the revelation of the word, I have slain a thousand enemies. Now, you're not getting your Bible back, so don't even ask. Praise God. Now, this is something, part of it I've preached before, part of it was revelation today. He's done. He's standing there. Obviously, it took a lot out of him, physically. And he's dying of thirst. And he says to God, shall I die? Verse 18. I'm so thirsty. Shall I die and be, you've just done this victory. I'm going to die now of thirst of all things. But I want you to notice what he had done. It says there that he cast, verse 17, he cast away the jawbone out of his hand. That means to literally throw down or throw away from yourself. And I want you to notice something. People get the word, and it's so precious to them. Now, this is fresh revelation from today. I've never said this before because he spoke this to me, and some of you better listen because some of this applies to some of you in this room. You get the word, it's so precious to you, and you fight your battle, and you have outstanding victory, and you're standing on the heaps of the corpses, so to speak, and you take that precious word, and you throw it away like it means nothing. And the word of the Lord came to me this afternoon. You better listen because I'm speaking by the Spirit. And he said, there are some, son, that when they're in trouble, oh, they seek me with all their heart. But when I deliver them, they cast away my instructions to them, my word. That represents a number of things. They cast it away like it's nothing. And then he brought it another level. And he said, and some, oh, they'll love you as their pastor when they're in trouble. Oh, they'll be faithful to church when they're in trouble. When the walls are closing in, they're there asking for prayer. They're fasting. But as soon as I deliver them, they start criticizing you. As soon as they get out of their problem, they've got something to, they've got an opinion 
about the pastor and about his wife and about how they act or how they don't act or about their ambition or I think they're too ambitious or not ambitious enough or this or that. What you've done is you've cast away what is precious because you no longer need God. For that moment, you're done. He came through for you. He saved you. Maybe he healed you. Maybe he delivered you financially. And you're all good. Now it's tempting to let your mouth run wild. Now it's tempting to get offended. Now it's tempting. I don't really need to read the word as aggressively every day. I don't need God. I don't need to go to church every service. Oh, but when they're in the trouble, Reverend Greg, they're here like clockwork. But when they're out of their trouble... That's what that represents. I never saw that. Even 17 years ago, I never saw that. He so spoke that to me today. He, and he said to me, son, there's some in your church. I deliver them. But because they disregard the, the habits, the spiritual habits of hunger and of the word, they cast it away and they find themselves in trouble again. And some of them, I deliver them. But as soon as every, the pressure is off, they start speaking against you. They start speaking against the vision. They start getting critical in their hearts. And then he said these words to me. He said, listen to me. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm telling you what he said. He said, some people that you keep helping over and over and over and over again, the reason why it happens over and over and over and over again is because they cast the jawbone away. And it opens the door for the enemy to attack another time. You start cutting out spiritual habits, you open the door, enemy's going to come back. I just counseled you, got you to victory. Now, two weeks later, you're back in the same problem. Two months later, you're back in the same problem. But if you had just kept the spiritual habit, you wouldn't get back in the same problem. Or every pressure's off now, so now you start getting opinionated and getting critical. And you open the door and the problem comes back. And some of you, you've had problem after problem for years in your life. And the reason is because you've got a pure heart. When things are going wrong, you see God. But as soon as things are okay, you cast off restraint, especially with critical behaviors. And then you wonder why, why is it not working? Why is God not with me the same way he was? How come I'm back in the same problem again? How come the financial crisis is here again? How come the health problem is back again? Because it wouldn't have been able to come back if you had maintained your words, if you'd maintained your integrity and your honor, if you had maintained spiritual habits of loving the word and searching after the word and being hungry for the word. But it is human nature when the pressure's off to throw away what got you the victory. But I want you to notice something. He throws it away, his problem, his fault, his, make, his mistake. And then he says, am I going to die, God? I'm so thirsty, I'm going to die. And what did God, where did the answer come from? The same thing he had discarded and shown a lack of honor for. The same thing that had got him the victory to begin with. The same thing he had dishonored and discarded. God said, you missed it, son. You don't just need this for the fight. You need this for the refreshing. You don't just need this for one time. You need this every time. You don't just need this when the pressure's on. You need this when the pressure's off. The same weapon that God brought victory through that he discarded, God did the working of miracles through and caused water to come out of a bone that's impossible. God could have picked anything. He could have picked a shield. He could have picked a tree. Why did he pick the weapon? Because God is sending a message. He's saying the weapon didn't just get you the victory. The weapon holds you after the victory. 
The weapon is your answer every day of your life. It is not just for the hard times. It is for the easy times as well. It's not just the fight. It's the refreshing after the fight. And it's an important lesson for us. We all get under pressure and we buckle down. When the pressure's off, how you act determines your true spirituality. Dr. Savell talked with me in the car privately once when I was driving him. And he said, I said to him, sir, you got so much going on. You got so much going on in your life and your ministry and you're believing for millions of dollars. And I said, does the pressure ever get to you? And he answered me a curious statement. He said, Craig, he said, enough time has passed and I've gone through enough battles that I've learned how to cast the care and stay in peace even when my mind knows this thing is shaking my tree. I've learned how to do it. It takes, it takes practice to become skillful. When all the noise for it all to, shut, to die down and you sit back in your hammock and you say, Father, this is your problem. I'll lose my faith. I'll release my words. I'll, I'll do my part. I'll do Mount Mark 11, 23 and 24. But Lord, I can't, I can't fix this. This is your problem. This is your bill. I cast the care over into you and I'm going to sleep. Yeah. That takes practice. Yes. <laughs> but then he said something else to me. He said, that's not all of it's Craig. He said, let me tell you something else. I said, yes, sir. He said, God said to me when I was a young minister, this will help you and it lines up with what I'm saying. He said to me when I was a young minister and we couldn't even afford food, we would go to Copeland's meetings and Copeland would go out to dinner with the pastor, but we wouldn't go because we didn't have money for the dinner. And nobody knew, including Copeland, because he would have probably paid for them. Because Jerry worked for him at that time. And he said, Carolyn and I would sit in our car and we would eat crackers Sometimes we couldn't even afford jam. And we, so you look at him with his two planes and his beautiful suits and his Louis Vuitton this and his Rolex that, and you think, oh, life's so easy. You don't know what you're talking about. Because you weren't with them in the back of that jalopy when they couldn't even afford jam. And he ate dry crackers with water. That was his dinner many a time. But he said to me, in those, this helped me so much. He said, in those days when we had nothing, we sought God with all of our hearts and we released every bit of faith we had and we built our faith every day and released it every day because every day we needed a miracle. And God delivered us every time. He said, but the Lord said to me back then when I was a young minister, he said, I'm pleased I'm paraphrasing. He said, I'm pleased that you seek me like this now. He said, but the tr- listen to me. He said, the true test of spirituality is not what you're doing now. Because anybody in your shoes would do what you're doing now. He said, the true test is later in life when I've blessed you. And you're rolling and high rolling and flowing and just, you're just cruising. Will you seek me as hard then as you do now? And he looked at me and he said, Craig, I tell you the truth. I seek God as hard today 
as I did when I ate crackers. And he said, Craig, God's blessing you and I can see things coming to your ministry. He said, but the true test of faith and spirituality is not seeking him when you're in trouble. That's easy. Anybody does that. You don't even have to have a brain to do that. You could be half monkey and do that. The true test is when everything's going hunky-dory, peachy, high-rolling, cruising for a bruising. When you've got it all together, do you seek God as aggressively then as you do when you're under the barrel with the barrel on top of you and an elephant sitting on top of the barrel? Most Christians don't. So you can't really call them great men of the spirit and great women of faith because they do it when they're in trouble. But when they're not in trouble, they start to criticize. You don't see them come to church as often. I'm not really into ministry of helps now because I, I, everything's good. And then they wonder why that thing comes back on them. Because God didn't put it back on you. Your dishonor for the jawbone, your dishonor for spiritual habits of the word, your dishonor with your words, your dishonor with your actions opens a wide gap and now you've invited things to come in and hurt you again. Whereas if you just kept the door closed and kept seeking God and kept being hungry and kept wanting a rhema word every day, looking for a fresh jawbone every day. In other words, you understand what I'm saying? If you just kept your spiritual habits, kept your confession, kept your mouth shut, stop talking about your pastors in a critical way. Stop having an opinion about the vision. It's not your vision. You will not stand before the almighty God and answer for the vision. I will. And, it, and I'm afraid. I don't mean to make a bad confession, but I, I don't want to say I'm afraid of that. But I think about that deeply every day I breathe. So just you don't need an opinion about what we're doing. You need to shut up and follow. And you say, well, that's hard words. But maybe we need to act a little bit more like military because in the military, they don't have an opinion. You shape up, you polish your brass, and you do what you've been asked to do by the commander-in-chief. And I'm not the commander-in-chief, Jesus is. I'm just the captain that is taking care of you in this natural realm. But the commander-in-chief is giving you instructions, and your job is to buck up and obey it, not have an opinion about the vision. Or an opinion about, well, I don't think we should buy this building, it's too small. Or can you believe Pastor didn't say hi to me in the hallway? Oh, he's so busy. He, never, he doesn't even love me anymore. You better watch your words, buddy, because you're casting away your jawbone. Yeah, that's right. You want another trouble in your life? You want that thing to come back on you? Just keep talking against me. Just keep criticizing. Just keep waking up late and not praying and not being in the word and not coming. Just, just, just take a spiritual vacation and watch the devil show up on your front door. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't cast away. That's what the New Testament says. Cast not away your confidence. Don't cast away your jawbone. That's your victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is the word. This is the victory. Spiritual habits in the word is everything. This is the answer. Don't let it win and then cast it away like it's garbage. Because God will use the same thing you've dishonored to help you. And if you didn't dishonor it, you just hold it up. Show honor for it. Lord, I've just come out of this victory. Lord, I'm feeling tired. Just hold up the word and water will come and just refresh you. And then you wake up the next morning and that jawbone that you were holding, that you were fell in love with the day before, that jawbone gave you victory the day before, that jawbone refreshed you the day before, but you wake up the next morning and it's brittle and old. And you put it gently aside, still out of respect for what it brought you in the past. Yeah. 
but you look around and all of a sudden there's a new jawbone and you take that one and you get victory that day and you drink of it that day and you wake up the next morning and it's brittle and you put it down and you look around and you find another jawbone and you do that every day not that the word becomes brittle do you understand but you need a fresh revelation every day 